We'll take a look now at the article by Kenneth Zisk called Vital Breath, Prana in Ancient Indian Medicine and Religion. This is a really important article that summarizes some of the early uh, Indian teachings about prana or breath and wind and how they developed historically. So he begins by reminding us that, uh, as we know, this is the topic of this class, most of us who are immersed today in the modern technological world don't think much about how we engage in the process of respiration. And yet humankind did not always have this kind of indifferent attitude. So he will summarize for us as some early Indian attitudes toward uh, respiration or breathing and how these became the process, how these became a focus of religious and medical concern and practice. So in the minds of early Indians, he says, respiration or breathing was the single indicator of a life, a mobile life, assuring longevity, a long life, and linking also the humans to the cosmos. So the cosmic wind of the universe was considered the human's vital breath or prana. So prana is a Sanskrit word that most of you will know from popular usage. And in this article, uh, Kenneth Sisk will tell us a bit about the various uses of the word prana throughout history in India. He begins by talking about ancient Indian pneumatology, that is the study of breath or breathing, uh, beginning in the ancient Indian texts, the Vedas, through the texts of classical Indian medicine or Ayurveda and into the yogic traditions. He begins with this Vedic literature, which he says then on page 34, you can see in a diagram, uh, is the basis of a physiology of breath that extends into medical circles and then also becomes the basis for practice, practitioners of yoga and their physiology of respiration and techniques for arresting or halting the breathing process as part of their ritual and meditative practice. So moving forward in the article on page 35, he points out for Vedic Indians, prana or breath was mainly a means of indicating and motivating life. So in other words, if breath is present, there's life. And if it's absent, life departs. The cosmic wind that blows in the atmosphere then motivates and regulates the normal course of things or the cosmic order in the same way that breath in living beings motivates life. So this too is a theme that I want you to keep in mind throughout this course is, as we discussed earlier, uh, we're thinking about how the wind and the atmosphere and the breath in our bodies may is or isn't the same substance or the same process. So that idea goes way back to these uh, early Vedic texts in India. He then moves on uh, to later texts. As he goes from the Rig Veda to the Atarva Veda on page 37, where the microcosmic and macrocosmic connection between breath and wind also expands to include other aspects of the cosmos. So breath is the universal indicator of life. In the Atarva Veda, 
that microcosmic, macrocosmic connection between breath and wind is extended to include other aspects of the cosmos. So on page 37, you can see a discussion of different kinds of rainstorms and the earth itself and the breathing properties of plants uh, that become part of these traditions such that the breath itself is equated with and contained in or associated with all kinds of cosmic elements that produce and maintain life. At this point, the article also begins to discuss uh, the idea of the five different prana, five breaths, as they become known in classical Ayurveda, to introduce the idea that there are different kinds of breath um, understood and developed in these uh, different Indian traditions. So the five classical Ayurvedic breaths uh, operate in the body, throughout the body, to regulate and promote various internal functions. So the one called prana is just the front breath, which is located in the mouth and ensures respiration and swallowing. Then there's an upward moving breath that produces speech. There's another breath that is meant that is uh, works to promote digestion in the body. A fourth breath that is called the downward moving breath that ensures uh, excretion and childbirth. And then a diffused breath that circulates in the limbs and motivates the movement of the body. So this system of different breaths uh, located throughout the body in certain places and responsible for different uh, bodily functions is something that starts um, to be developed in these early Indian texts and that uh, becomes very prominent in the practice and thinking of Indian medicine, Tibetan medicine, other types of Asian medicine, as well as tantric traditions that involve yogic and meditative or physical um, healing and uh, practices, ritual practices. So in this article, Kenneth Sisk summarizes some of these uh, different early system systematizations of different kinds of breath and how they're associated with different parts of the body and different aspects of um, bodily function. So he says on page 39, it's clear that particular attention was paid to the occurrence of human respiration, which was scrupulously observed, and to the perceived functions of wind when it entered the body based on bodily manifestations of internal air. So this is, he's saying, an empirical process. In other words, it developed uh, by the observations of these uh, early Indian practitioners and then recorded in the text that we know of today. However, in the earliest period, he says, there was not a definite systematization of the physiology of respiration. So not yet had these things been written out in a comprehensive uh, sort of physiological medical system as began to take place several centuries later in Ayurvedic and yogic texts. So later too, he'll say, he's going to tell us about how this um, ancient Indian ascetic traditions 
yogic early predecessors of yogic traditions used techniques of breath control and rhythmic breathing as part of meditative discipline to obtain certain states in the mind and in the body. So these are practices that now are still um, known and that we will practice ourselves in this class um, that started uh, very early on in Indian tradition. He goes on in this article around page 41 to talk about the uh, connection between these types of breathing practices and the system, systemizing, systematization of different types of breath um, and how that's related to ritual practice. So if any of you have studied Hinduism or other um, early Indian traditions, you'll know a bit about um, early Indian ritual or Buddhist ritual. And this article is tracing the very um, earliest phases of what is called the interiorization or internalization of ritual by these kinds of ascetic practices that specifically focus on breath control and techniques of respiration. So the article then discusses some of the details about how uh, ritual and breathing practices are tied together and how ritual practice led to the development of some of these physiological um, traditions. On page 44, he points out that in the Upanishads, breath control and rhythmic respiration began to receive increasingly more attention which then caused the codification or the development of a systematized pneumatology similar to that which uh, became prominent also in the medical treatises. So on page 45 then he says the persistent contemplation and meditation on the breaths in these Upanishadic traditions then gave rise to the standardized lists of the five pranas or the five winds or breaths that we just discussed where they were located in the body, and what their physiological functions were. Beginning on page 48, we have a discussion of prana or breath in classical Ayurveda. So Ayurveda is the classical system of Indian medicine. He points out that um, central to the teachings in these Ayurvedic textbooks, and this is still true about uh, Ayurvedic medicine today, as well as Tibetan medicine and other systems of traditional medicine that are based on Ayurveda, there is an etiological system that, where the body is understood to have three humors or dosas. These are wind, bile, and phlegm, which act as which disrupt the normal functioning of the human body. So medical diagnosis in these traditions and medical treatment is based on understanding the three humors and their balance or imbalance in the body and then taking certain uh, medicines or doing certain treatments that will adjust those uh, humors. Also part, a central part of um, Indian medicine that we'll continue to expand our understanding of in this class is the system of channels that transport prana or wind or breath throughout the body. So on 49, this uh, summarizes some of these kinds of uh, anatomical systems. So there are these vessels that originate in the heart or large vessels also that carry nutritive fluid, rasa, and that uh, 
move the winds and different um, fluids or rasa around the body in these vessels. And that if, if um, those vessels are injured, then um, disease states occur. So you can read a bit more about that here. And as we study um, later in the semester, some Tibetan medical traditions will read quite a bit more about the winds or the breath in the body and how it's transported throughout the body in um, these in these channels or vessels. On page 50, Zisk has then another um, systematization of the location and function of the five winds that um, maintain bodily structures and functions. So there's the first wind that's located in the heart, chest, throat, tongue, mouth, and nose and that helps, that promotes the functions of spitting, sneezing, belching, respiration, and digestion. Then there's the Udana wind, the second, that's located in the navel, chest, and throat, and has to do with speech, effort, energy, strength, and complexion. There's Samana that's uh, located in the channels that convey sweat, humor, and watery fluids, and sits in, uh, also strengthens digestion and so forth. So you can read about the five winds here. And then he goes on to explain that when these breaths circulating um, throughout the body and causing these bodily functions are in equilibrium and in the right place work functioning normally, then the body is free of disease. But when they're unbalanced or they're moving through the wrong paths, then that's when the body is affected by disorders that are related to those functions and locations, and that can cause death. So the job of the Ayurvedic practitioner, the doctor, is to diagnose through sometimes pulse reading how the winds or the breath is moving throughout the body and restore that uh, appropriate balance. So on page 52, uh, Zisk concludes by saying that there's this specifically medical pneumatology that um, is developed in the Ayurvedic, classical Ayurvedic traditions that are not about uh, respiration, rhythmic breathing, or breath control. So those uh, aspects of breathing that have to do with um, sort of manipulating the breath intentionally, as we'll be learning in this class, those are not the domain. That doesn't come up in early classical Ayurvedic medicine, but comes instead in their early yogic texts. So the next section in this article discusses some of those um, early appearances of breathing techniques uh, in the yoga sutras or the texts on yoga. So here then on page 53, you can see a brief discussion of the yoga sutras, these early um, prominent texts on, uh, on yoga, where Teachings are focused on how to calm the mind by ex exhaling and restraining the breath or prana by a technique that's called pranayama, which is control of the breath, and also postures uh, that we might be familiar with in yoga today. So pranayama involves external uh, winds manipulation or expulsion of breath, internal uh breathing, so drawing in the breath, and then suppression or suspension of breathing. Um, 
And so we will, these, these are some things that we'll practice in some of our own breathing techniques so you get a bit of a sense of how that works. Also critical to this system um, is, this, is another um, tradition of vessels throughout the body that's um, through which the wind or the breath travels. So on page 54 at the bottom, you'll see that this pranayama practice is meant to purify those vessels of the body and that there are, there's a system here of 72,000 vessels of which 10 are the most important and then three are the, the central channels or vessels that run along the spine are the very most important. So many of these practices, um, yogic practices, also tantric practices later, um, are focused on moving, intentionally moving through breath control, moving the breath uh, up and down these different channels in order to affect different states of mind as well as different states of body. So in this article, to conclude, Kenneth Sisk is um, demonstrating for us how the medical theoreticians of uh, ancient India emphasized the physiology of bodily wind, whereas the yogic mystics focused on techniques of respiration while advancing a physiology in relationship to respiration. So although both of these traditions are, can be seen to have early historic origins in the Vedic texts, they branched in two different ways. One focused more on uh, physiology of winds or bodily breaths, and the other focused on manipulation, intentional manipulation of uh, respiration with a physiology that kind of goes along with that. Many of these um, ideas you'll see repeated in different contexts as we explore different types of breathing techniques um, that uh, are derived from these traditions um, around the world. <laughs>